Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors Podcast. My name is Anurag Rana, and I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Spencer Kimball as our guest today, who's the co-founder and CEO of Cockroach Labs, which is a cloud-based database company. We're looking forward to chatting with Spencer today about the complicated world of databases and the disruption that they're causing. So Spencer, we'd love to start off a little bit with your background, what you did in the past, and then what led you to founding Concrete Labs. First of all, thank you for having me. Pleasure to join you. Let's see, my background goes back to Berkeley in 96, 97, where I first took a database class. I gotta say I wasn't too interested in databases at that point in time. But as soon as I got out into the real world, the next year with my first job, I was surprised to see that databases really took center stage. And this was trying to build something for the dot-com era. And that quickly led to Google. I started there in 2002 to 2012. And Google had a huge number of problems with databases as well. So this ended up being a central feature of my career. It also turned out that databases were extremely interesting. I got a little bit of a taste for them at Berkeley in terms of that initial class and liked them. But I think when you got out into the world of actually building things, you realize that every single use case, every application, every service at heart has an operational database below it. So making those things work, making them scale, making them efficient in terms of a cost and also performance perspective, those are actually the key challenges. And it really did motivate a lot of the research at Google, research and development. And that led to a startup after Google. And again, databases were a central problem. And the interesting thing about that moment in time, that was 2012, coming out of the Google infrastructure ecosystem, it was actually surprising to me how far Google at that point in time was ahead of the open source ecosystem. So coming out of Google, we looked at all of the different options that were available in open source, MongoDB, Postgres, MySQL, HBase, Cassandra, and we're successively excited and disappointed. They always lacked something. And we realized what Google had culminated with by the time we left in 2012, this system called Spanner, that was an ideal set of properties. And that's what really motivated the journey to building, founding, and then building Cockroach Labs and Cockroach DB, the database that we do build. One of the things I remember a quote from Seth a few years ago when somebody asked him what one software product you wish you owned or really changed the world. And I think his answer was databases. And one of the things that has surprised me over the last, would say, 15 odd years is that despite a lot of the discussion about the newer technologies in databases, you know, the market's still controlled by, there's a large portion of revenue that's still allocated to a very traditional relational database management system. So perhaps you could enlighten us and say, then given that our podcast is about disruptors, how's your company disrupting the database industry? That's a good question. And again, it has a historical basis. If you remember back in the 90s, there were these database wars. I guess they continued in the early aughts, but that was really a war of a database architecture that applied to what you consider to be an enterprise workload. So maybe millions of customers at the high end and just a certain amount of data under management that lent itself to the sort of practical reality of that database living on a single machine. And so that machine could eventually get scaled up quite large. It'd be some microsystem supercomputers or Cray supercomputers and the like. But it's a very expensive cost curve. So then the dot-com boom hit everyone. And that really started to 
challenge companies. And I was at Google during that period of time to build for bigger workloads, much bigger workloads, in some cases, hundreds of millions or even billions of at least entities, if not actual users in the system. And that completely upended the thinking around databases. And what Cockroach is fundamentally doing is to disrupt that legacy model is to really embrace distributed computing. And in particular, distributing computing in the cloud. Because the cloud brings this incredible capacity, really, to anyone that cares to use it. So you can have many commodity pieces of hardware that are available within a data center, but then many data centers, even within a single region. And that actually provides certain possibilities, but also data centers across continents. So you can see how all of those different things can lend themselves to solving bigger and bigger problems, which, by the way, even startups today are contending with. So you want scale because you have lots of users. And hey, the more users, the better. And so how do you quickly scale? Think about a multiplayer game. And we have quite a few of those kinds of customers. They may, you don't know if a game is going to be a hit, but when it's a hit, wow, you can end up with something that is going to require huge amounts of computing resources overnight. Scaling a traditional monolithic database, the legacy databases, is a very slow process. And it's actually typically requires downtime. You're going to switch from one machine to a bigger machine, for example. That's not optimal. But the cloud, you can say, okay, we're going to compose this database, not of one gigantic scaled up machine, but many commodity pieces of hardware that are granular in terms of how you add them. And the database is simply going to accommodate all of that extra scale by you adding additional commodity hardware. And you get a proportional increase in capacity for a proportional increase in price, maybe even a decrease in price, right? Because you get volume discounts. In the but then you have this other interesting problem, which is how do we keep this thing up? Because the more people that are using a service, that's the more customer dissatisfaction in aggregate that you're going to face if something goes wrong. And that's where the interesting thing about the cloud, where you can have lots of data centers within even a single region, like the East Coast of the United States, that actually offers a really a profound opportunity which is that you can actually actively replicate the data and balance it with uh, what's called consensus-based replication in order to survive a data center completely going offline with no loss in continuity for your business. In the traditional monolithic database world, that actually would be a disaster recovery. You lose one of your, let's say your primary data center, you're going to do a failover to your secondary data center. You can have data loss, you have post-mortems. It can be a very painful experience for the people that are running the application or service, and of course, the customers. And then the final piece there, which is, I think, very exciting, especially for the decade ahead, is the fact that the cloud offers data centers all over the planet. And this global public cloud. And it, the reality is, in today's world, there's a global customer base that most companies are trying to address. And so that actually, again, offers an even more exciting opportunity, which is, how do you create a first-class user experience for customers wherever they are all over the world. And maybe the interesting thought experiment here is how does Google build applications? How does Meta build applications? How does Apple build applications? But these big tech companies that put hundreds of millions or billions of dollars into R&D over the years, they all build for global audiences and they build global applications. They don't start with a single region application. When they launch something, it's all global. But that's yeah. where everyone's moving, right? Just like how everyone's followed Google's technology choices and to one extent or another, it's all blended. But like Google was very much a pioneer in terms of how to build these systems. Think about Borg leading the Kubernetes is one prime example. The things that Google did initially required huge amounts of input of investment in R&D. But as these things diffuse into the larger ecosystem and people implement these ideas in open source and so forth, other companies bring them up. Eventually, what was 
super luxury item for a global audience or a truly multi-region application, that becomes standard equipment over time. It's not there yet, but that's really the future. And that's really where cockroaches architecture is disrupting databases. But I will just add one little footnote there. We're infrastructure, right? So really when we think about what our true mission is, it's not so much to disrupt the database industry, it's to let our customers disrupt their respective verticals. And with a fundamentally better approach to this architecture, you can actually end up spending a lot less on databases in aggregate and move a lot more quickly. So if you want to win in financial services, if you're addressing the problem of databases, which by the way, applies to every single one of your use cases, that you can move faster, you can build more products, more services for your customers, and therefore have a good shot at really disrupting your industry. No, that's very well put. I would, we first started looking at cloud. This is, you can visualize that some, someday you will have an architecture that would have a distributed computing like this. But the thing that I have always been surprised about is the slow pace at which the on-premise world is moving to the data, to the cloud when it comes to the infrastructure or now, if I look at the world of cloud today, majority of that is dominated by your SaaS applications. But when I look at, let's say Oracle, even 10 years ago or so, or a bank with their core banking system, that's built off of a, an old Oracle database, for example, like I am still waiting to see those massive migrations into the cloud where they start using cloud database like yourself or AWS or Microsoft's piece or GCP's piece. The thing that has shocked me, and again, Oracle's pushing their OCI very strongly at this point, and we'll see how that shapes up over the next five to seven years. When you go and talk to a bank or when you go talk to any customer, whether it's in retail or healthcare, what's the big push that you get? Because dollar-wise, the on-premise world still dominates this place, and I don't see that. And again, I'm comparing it to applications because once we saw Workday really kicking, and within that five to seven year period, you saw a massive transition from PeopleSoft and other on-premise systems to Workday. I don't see that in infrastructure as much. Tell us why that's the case. I think there's a successive set of, let's call it maybe different waves how data moves. And the vertical application like the Salesforce or Workday is the easiest in terms of people's appetite for it because it's solving a specific problem and it's solving it more efficiently. And it's okay, our PeopleSoft implementation is getting very old and rough around the edges. And we're either going to upgrade this or we're going to build something new. And this is actually a much simpler in terms of total cost of ownership, a much more efficient solution. And it's, a, it's not the crown jewels of the company either. Right? It's, not their, it's not their data on their customers in all cases. Salesforce might be an example of that. But that was the first wave that moved. And I think the second wave is the sort of less precious analytical data that can be carefully cleaned as necessary so that there's not potential breaches in customer trust or the PII data and so forth. So that, that we've seen kind of culminate in Snowflake, which is a, a huge success in terms of moving into true databases as a service for analytic data. Now we're actually, I think, at the beginning of the wave of operational data moving. And operational data does represent the metadata that is the crown jewels, right? It's the actual day in, day out metadata for everything that your business needs to run. And if that goes down, you don't have a business, right? An analytics database that goes down, it's, a, it's a definitely a survivable event, but the amount of money that you may lose if you lose your operational database is extreme. And the, the evolved, think about some of these use cases that may have decades of evolution. That's a very evolved posture from an information security perspective. So that's another impediment to this move happening. But I think 
what you see now is that it's again, this crossing the chasm model, right? You've got your innovators that have already started moving very dramatically the cloud. And this applies to every single industry out there. Even you'd be surprised at some of the names, very big companies, definitely leaders in their vertical, but they also can really be in that sort of innovator, early adopter kind of area under the curve. But the, the amount of time it's going to take for the early majority to move is going to be something that happens over the next five to 10 years. And the late majority come in when they come in. This is definitely a, an, an aggressive move that requires quite a bit of know-how in order to make it happen. It will happen though, right? Because TCO in the cloud is fundamentally better. I think one stat that really helps illustrate this is just the total cost of the database management system is about a sixth to the a tenth of the total amount that's spent in terms of hearing resources, consultants to optimize the performance, the DBAs and so forth that, that run the systems, DevOps. So as these systems become more complex, and by the way, they do become more complex when you want to really embrace the opportunities inherent in like the things that I outlined before, business continuity scale, geographic scale, uh, it's, it becomes even more expensive to run these things. If you don't have a database like Cockroach and you want, for example, to accommodate massive scale, you may actually have your software developers chaining together multiple instances of Oracle or multiple instances of MySQL. That's, by the way, how Google started with their AdWords product. And that is extraordinarily expensive. Like paying software engineers to actually start building a meta database on top of individual instances of some monolithic database, that is, that's a, not just a high cost up front, but the cost of owning that and maintaining it is phenomenally large, right? So you can see that if you want to win in the vertical, you want to move faster, you want to build bigger things for larger audiences. This is an inevitable move for all of these reasons that you want the new capabilities. You also, in order to embrace those with, an, with some level of efficiency, you want somebody else to run. And so not everyone also has data centers all over the world. Maybe the biggest banks do still, but they're actually trying to move away from that model. So all the gravity, right? And it's considerable if you're trying to win in your vertical and it's supposed to just survive. That gravity is pulling folks in this direction. And it's one of these things where it's a tipping point. And this, by the way, happened with the sales forces and work days, that sort of vertical applications It happened with the analytics databases. And it's beginning to happen with the, the operational databases. I think you also see that it's segment dependent. The smallest companies move immediately. They're born in the cloud, right? Why would you choose something different? Larger companies, they do follow that distribution of how they move. But that's where most of the growth is going to come from in cloud databases, because that is those companies in aggregate, right? Their total spend on IT is just truly massive. And you're right. Not all of it's going to move ever, probably. Yeah. yeah. There's some things built on mainframes that, God, there's nobody alive that can figure out what those applications do. And yet they're still essential. So not everything will move, but it will increase in. So, so I'm, I, believe me, I am in complete agreement with you. And all those things is something that I have been a big supporter of for a long time. And yet I am surprised day in and day out of to the core operations, how few of them move. And in the case of what you mentioned about the data centers, I think with so much of data center costs going up because of energy, I'm just waiting to see the next big phase of infrastructure move. And and yet it's surprising when you look at IBM's mainframe product has done actually relatively well this time. Their software products is doing well. Oracle still grows their on-premise business and Microsoft still grows their on-premise business. To me, when you sit down with some of these leaders, I would love to learn what are some of the pushbacks people give you in terms of either it's a cost-driven thing, it's a regulation-driven thing, or what forces them? Because 
all the things you mentioned are to me just common sense. It should be done by me. Yeah. That's a good, it's a good, it's a good point. I think that almost all of the companies that would bother taking a conversation with us, like they do have a strategy for how they're going to build the next generation. And most of those companies, especially it's the enterprise segment, strategics, that sort of thing, they are looking at 10 years ahead, what they're going to do, what's their strategy. And believe me, it's all focused on cloud. You never get a, a, another, another story or another narrative. The reality of course is that it's extremely expensive to move an application. Now you can do a lift and shift, and I think that's probably somewhat common, but moving an application, retooling it for new infrastructure is often not worth the cost. We definitely see that the big companies are going to maintain their footprint in most cases for those legacy vendors. But what's also going to be true is that in the next 10 years, there's going to be new use cases that exceed all the legacy use cases that have ever been built in the history of the world and that are still running anyway. So that's a tremendous opportunity. And it's not just greenfields, right? It is brownfields as well. There's consolidation point. What we've seen is that things break down in, into kind of two buckets, right? There are the existing use cases that have an acute pain point, maybe state of sovereignty, right? Maybe it is the scale is running up against fundamental limits. Right? Or they've had too many outages and they really want to move to a better model for business continuity. Those kinds of acute pain points can justify the cost in the migration. And we see that. But then, it's, as I said, what are we building for the next 10 years? Those greenfield the, in, in aggregate, those are going to be massive expansion. And so what people are trying to do right now is figure out, okay, what's our overall strategy? What does this infrastructure technology stack look like that we're going to build on? And that's going to be cost efficient and also yield us the right capabilities to win in our vertical. So that gives some answer, but I'll just, one other point I'd make is that Cockroach started off not as a cloud database as a service. Uh, in 2015, we were really intent on and simply building the database. And most of the companies that were interested in capabilities that Cockroach brought to market, they wanted to run the database themselves. At the high end of the market in 2018, let's say, there was still a lot of trepidation about going to a database as a service for critical use cases, like retail banking, right? If you're a Fortune 10 bank, and that's a lot to imagine. It's trusting a new company to, to host your operational data. So we actually been, we have two modes of selling the product. One is that you self-host it. And that, of course, works for anyone that has been running databases themselves. And so all the legacy or enterprise type companies, that's a common fact, a feature. But then we also have now the databases service, which has a number of different flavors. And that's literally in the last year, really post pandemic, post the kind of maybe excessive euphoria of 2021. I think that was a, that was the start of the tipping point is what we see in terms of the high end of the market, this really massive companies, the enterprise, let's say, they are at least at the forefront of that movement. They're all in now on cloud and even cloud-based services. Fair point. Now, is there any particular vertical or a use case you're most expo more exposed to than the others? Or is there a kind of application that uh, your database runs better on compared to the others? If I was going to say our biggest verticals, it would be financial service. There's, let's call it big tech. Right? Like Netflix is an example of a company, DoorDash uses us. I said that those kind of newer companies that are SaaS based or they're offering some sort of tech products. And then we have retail and gaming. Those are really big ones. There's some commonalities that might be obvious, scale, global mission criticality of the workload. When we think about what our mission is, it's really being the trusted global database is the infrastructure for 
the mission critical applications and services that, that are essentially critical to the functioning of everyone's day-to-day life. Like that, that's fundamentally where Cockroach comes in. So it's like huge world-changing or sort of world-defining applications that if they go down, people can't really function anymore. So it, that's, that helps really explain. It's like global audiences, very large amounts of data, which by the way, is increasing all the time in terms of how much people want to store. We have a, I mentioned some of these tech companies, but when you hit a sort of order completion button in your phone for some of these applications, the things that can happen on the back end are a little surprising. And we're talking about actually thousands of transactions into the database for one user operation. And a lot of these things now get fired off, not even from a human interaction, but through virtual agents and the like. So what is just that the explosion in terms of scale is, I think maybe it's more than we've ever seen, probably by an order of magnitude in the last decade. And in the next decade, it'll probably be another order of magnitude, right? So that definitely really mandates the use of these kinds of systems. So does your cost go up as somebody is using the database more because you have to then host it yourself or do you host it with a cloud provider? Well, we actually use the cloud providers for our database as a service. So we're not running our own data centers. That, that's always a possibility for the future. Right now, there's not enough of a compelling reason to take that step. The cloud vendors are actually great partners for us. And what we're actually seeing that's quite interesting with the cloud vendors is that we compete with them, right? They're also... I know, uh, okay essential partners. This is not different for most companies that are building infrastructure and plenty of other things as well. But when you think about what our customers are looking for, it is often to kind of play above the cloud in some sense. And not to get too far down to gravity where it's very hard to have any flexible options and therefore leverage with pricing. I think more fundamentally, we think of ourselves as saying, you know what, it's great to balance across data centers, let's say within a single cloud for business continuity. It's also an interesting perspective to think about balancing across the cloud providers themselves. You know, what happens if a cloud provider has a systemic risk that's identified or a big failure? Uh, so what can we provide to our customers that is fundamentally interesting? I mentioned all those other items, but it's also, we're truly distributed, right? So that can mean that you can interpret that in ways that allow you to be a little bit more agnostic about the underlying infrastructure. It could be mixing the public cloud with the private cloud could be spreading across the public cloud. And it could, in fact, eventually, we don't know where the cloud journey is headed. Yep. I'm sure you've heard in some cases, people talking about 5G substations and other things where you're, you're really pushing to the edge. And that, that actually has for things like gaming, really interesting implication. And so that's part of what Cockroach is really angling towards. We're trying to be agnostic about the future movement technology. And that again, is I think a good reason that these companies that are looking at 10 years are also interested in Cockroach's perspective there. It's really, we'd like to keep our options flexible as well, as opposed to putting too many eggs in, in the one big hyperscale basket. Yeah, I think this is where I would want to follow up and learn more is this is truly a big systemic risk just because the hyperscale pretty much controls, I don't know, 60, 70% of the market at this point on the infrastructure as a service. Do your clients say that I want to be able to build an application that works on multiple cloud? If that's the case, that's would be far more expensive than building one that works only on one cloud. So how do, how are they balancing this particular risk of having a backup? Or do they say, if need be, we can port over some of that application somewhere else because we have written it in a certain way. How's that shaping up? Because to write it in, in a way that it works in multiple clouds is a little bit more expensive in my view. Absolutely it is. Yeah. 
we're actually in that process ourselves, right? We have a database as a service. We started with GCP and AWS. We're adding Azure right now. Let me tell you, the cloud providers have idiosyncratic differences and the devil's in the details. And yep. it is uh, not easy to support an additional cloud. Okay, we're going to add Aldi cloud, let's say, or, or pick your vendor there. You know, that, that's difficult. And it's not necessarily just difficult because of there's different APIs and so forth or like strange little differences that ultimately create workarounds. So software engineering efforts and so forth. It may actually be that once you start getting off of the three major cloud vendors, that N plus one vendor doesn't even have a service that you, that has an analogous capability. And so for that to then you, what you're going to re-implement that yourself, try to put in some open source thing. All these things are possible, but as you expand out, it is quite expensive. When we look at our big customers, I think there's really multiple different things, maybe different levels of interpretation of what multi-cloud means. I think the enterprise, it's rare company indeed these days that doesn't already have a multi-cloud. And that often is because they've done acquisitions over time where they welcome in a software engineering team that has a preference in terms of the cloud they're going to use or the technology stack. So this creates a lot of proliferation. So it's rare to see a bigger company that has gone through acquisitions, even limited to a single cloud today. When you look at what people's intentions are, it's often just about portability, to your point. Like, hey, we need to have a reasonable, if, for example, we're even just going to threaten taking, taking it, or we're just, let's say we're in negotiation based year in, year out, and we don't want to look like we have no option, right? Or it may be like, this is a regulation. And in fact, this is true in financial services, especially in Europe. It's unclear what the interpretation of those regulations mean, and they're evolving constantly, but it may be the case that let's say within 30 days, you want to have a viable path to relocating an entire service onto a new cloud vendor. So th those contingency plans are often in place. And by the way, you don't have to build the multiple clouds for that, but you've got to be careful about your technology stack, right? If you choose something that exists only in a single cloud vendor, that actually is very limiting, right? Because everyone knows that changing, for example, let's say you choose a database that exists only on, on GCP. That actually makes the gravity very large. Can you move in 30 days? You're going to have to rewrite your application to use a different database. That's, that may not be feasible without a huge code red type situation. Yeah, but that's what I'm wondering, like if you're talking to a client, and again, everybody understands this, because in the previous software regime, they were always worried about, oh, I'm locked in with it and I can't move because I've written this app and Oracle is a perfect example over there. Because everything that was written 20 years ago, almost everything, I would say, started off with that database. And then they're still reaping the benefits of it, frankly, with massive support revenue and free cash flow coming in. But it's the same thing with the cloud vendors. Once you start using their databases, then their tools, you're pretty much locked in with that. So when a new customer of yours is a customer of yours is saying, I'm going to write a new application. And again, I don't have actually a sense of what the cost differential would be if I was to use one, day, one cloud provider versus if I was to write that application in a way or two versions of that applications, how much would that be? Because that has to be, that has to be in the back of their mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think the middle road, which we see most of our customers take, is they want to choose best of breed multi-cloud support vendors, right? For their infrastructure, the whole stack up and down. So they want to use open standards where possible, like for example, Cockroach is Postgres compliant, right? That does make the optionality quite a bit better. There's a lot of Postgres compatible databases and of course Postgres itself. But okay, what else are we going to use? Let's say we're going to use Kafka and we're going to use Confluent as a vendor. 
and Confluent works across all the clouds, right? So you, you build your stack with these vendors and you do have a viable path to, to move. But we see this now increasingly, there's the interest from very high value use cases uh, to actually actively work across the clouds. So that is where you'd put the expense in that is real and necessary in order to actively have, for example, your application code running in three cloud vendors and your database running across three cloud vendors and all your cuff uh, actually sending data amongst the cloud vendors. That is a lot more engineering, but it can be justified, right? If, you, if that's a property that is essential. And the interesting thing about that is it's not a fixed cost you pay for every use case. Right? Once you establish that kind of an architecture, that can be applied in the, the second, the third, the fourth with a diminishing cost. So that, that is a, an interesting path forward, but it does, I think, take an initial sort of justification. Yeah. Like, hey, this one is so critical. We want to be able to survive a cloud vendor failing and have no downtime. That, that is, that's somewhat unusual, but we're starting this. One of the things I've always wondered, and again, this is not just with your company, but other smaller database providers that are providing some unique technology. At the end of the day, the cloud providers have their own databases. They have unbelievably large amount of capital that resides with them. One could argue their code probably works better with other tools, whether it's ML, AI, or however it is. So when you go and try to market it with a customer, why would you win versus some of the bigger pieces, the three bigger cloud providers that are selling their own cloud databases? I think that a big part of it is just the single-threaded nature of our focus. That has allowed us to date to build the most advanced distributed relational database. We had our cloud service before Google had their cloud service, as an example. And we brought these capabilities to market first. And that is because that's all we do, right? The cloud vendors have a lot of projects underway, even if they could be quite confident in all of them. It's a little bit of a different intensity that's applied to it. And by the way, I think where that becomes most important is the inevitable problems that you have with the database. There's no company that has a significant use case that's in production that hasn't eventually run into a problem that they need resolved with their When Cockroach has a, one of these incidents, we actually have the database engineers on hand to help solve it. And so things get solved very rapidly. Some of our customers have had almost the opposite experience with the big hyperscale cloud vendors. It's hard to get somebody on the phone even, right? much less to have somebody that has the competency to actually fix the problem. Of course, this varies and so forth. We, again, it comes down to the single-threaded focus. What are we building? We're building most advanced relational distributed database for the customers that are really building mission-critical apps that win in their vertical fundamentally. And we can support that one piece of infrastructure better than anyone. And that sort of plays in, I think, to the concerns at the high end of the market about vendor concentration risk. So that, that's the other thing that I think for us is a big strategic strength, uh, which is there's an allergy, really, when you start talking to these folks about jumping from the Oracle pan into the hyperscale fire. <laughs> They're very nervous about that. No, I, I actually feel it is the same thing. It's just a matter of which one of the cloud providers is probably nicer to you at this point, but eventually you are locked in for a long period of time. You mentioned edge computing a little while ago, and this is again one of those emerging technologies that can again reshape the infrastructure world, technology infrastructure world quite a bit, because you went from a distributed computing to a mainframe kind of a world. And then you're rushing back to a distributed computing again with Edge. What are some of the stumbling blocks right now? And does 5G take care of it? And that one of the things I've always wondered, 
is edge devices, how the hell can they process that level of data without a database? Or even if you put a database in, it doesn't have that much memory to handle that much that that level of that. From a technology point of view, how does that get solved? That's a good question. I don't actually have the right answer for you, I'm sure, because I don't think that it has been solved yet. I think that probably the company that's doing the most interesting work here is Cloud. They they really innovated with Cloudflare workers and they have a they have now a key value database and they're moving more in the direction of higher level abstractions of SQL. So I think they're really the closest to having a real answer at the edge. When we think about the edge for our customers, it is more coming from the direction of how does it, one of our customers extend the sort of, let's call it the standard operational database-backed application and service so that it is actually operating across regions and is close up to it. And then customers don't miss out their data and their legal jurisdiction, as well as give them a very low latency experience, but without tackling the next level of what multi-region means to actually be on, say, 5G substation. So when you think about multi-region in cockroaches sense, you might have five regions around the globe that you're supporting. Western Europe, North America, South America, let's say Australia, and maybe in India or something like that. Right? Most Indian companies, and there's a lot of SaaS businesses out of India, they immediately build for India, Europe, and the U.S., and so that's the sort of multi-region that Cockroach accommodates with our architecture. But when you get to a 5G type thing, you're really like a CDN, like the, what Cloudflare is solving. It, it is a, you're talking about an order of magnitude, maybe two orders of magnitude, more actual endpoints. And so spreading the data around there, that's a very different problem. And it probably means that you're going to have to make some serious compromises to your point. You're not going to be able to build a, a true, like sort of general purpose application using the old patterns. You have to come up with new patterns and a totally new way of thinking about how the data is shared and not shared and how it's partitioned and what's available, what the consistency levels are. It's a, it's a Pandora's box and you're building things very fundamentally differently. Possible, you can build cool things that way and people will. I think these, th there's probably thousands of times more applications and services that are going to be built that are more than the traditional model. And that's what Cockroach is really meant to support. No, believe me, I've thought so much about this over the last several years, and I don't have an idea of how this is going to work as well, given the complexities required in today's world. Let me ask you a little bit about the analytics portion of it. This is something that you mentioned, and I felt that analytics databases or cloud data warehouses, all that stuff that's been built right now is a good middle ground when companies are trying to figure out what to do with the massive on-premise footprint and some assets on the cloud and marrying the data. But eventually, on judgment day, what happens to them? Because if a cloud database is modeled properly and creates a good application, then why do I need an analytics vendor to put my data over there and run some work? I should be able to do that in my application without any problem. There's absolutely convergence happening, and it's happening from both directions. Snowflake is creating this Unistore thing where they're trying to carve off operational use cases under their larger umbrella. Cockroach, of course, is in every relational database that's operational, gets increasingly good at analytics, right? Because you also want to carve off the marginal incremental workload that has to operationalize analytics, say for a dashboard or something like that, or reporting within the application. The last thing you want to do is call out a stale secondary system that has the analytics for you. Like if you, the operational database should be able to do those same analytics. The problem is that when you're coming from the direction of analytics towards operational, 
your operational database isn't very good. When you're coming from the direction of operational to analytics, your analytical database isn't very good. Now, you can argue that your HTAC, which is Hybrid Transaction Analytic Processing, it's a nice little acronym that was introduced not too long ago. And many companies are trying to gear, position themselves that way. Our experience is that you, 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 at best, you're a jack of all trades and master of none. And that, that is just the reality because it's extremely hard to build these two different kinds of systems. They presuppose different ways of organizing the data on disk. And there's just limited sort of surface area. There's limited how many cooks you want to have in the kitchen. And it, push in one direction fundamentally, you can't just add sort of like a, double the cost, a whole nother team that's pushing in another direction because they, it's hard to have them not run over each other. Now, the one way to do it is to really create the right linkages and you have two separate systems but they can flow very efficiently together. There's less of a, for example, what are the problems with operational to analytics? It's about staleness, right? Let me give you an example. There's a company that's spun out of Cockroach. And they, we don't have ownership in them, but it's ex Cockroach people and it's called Materialize. And what Materialize does is it's something called timely data flow. Really fascinating idea, but think of this, of any relational query being a directed graph where at the beginning node, the input nodes, you have the different tables you're pulling data from, and then it flows through. There might be the nodes are kind of operators. Like we're going to have a sorting step or we're going to unique something, or we're going to put a filter on it, a predicate of some sort, and all these things flow through. And that's actually how you can organize really any sort of computational set of steps is a graph. What timely data flow does is it keeps all the intermediate steps. So you might put terabytes through this graph in order to come up with a final result set. If you modify anything in the inputs, it just takes the incremental computations that are necessary. So let's say that you've put terabytes through and it took you an hour, 10 hours or something to get your result set and you change one thing in the input. It's possible that, that could flow through with a very minimal number of computations in order to update your result set in an exact fashion. Right? So hooking up a system like Materialize, which by the way is, is really built to work well with Cockroach, the cockroach gives you the best of both worlds, like an incredible sort of real-time analytics that gives you a consistently correct result with extraordinarily small amounts of staleness, maybe like on the order of milliseconds, right, to a, an operational database that creates all of these capabilities around business continuity and scale that would be very hard to put into an analytics system without using the performance. So you can see how I think composition really does the, remain the best way to get the best of analytics and operational. Trying to make it all one system, you can do a good job there, but I don't think you can do a great job. Yeah, it's very well said. I'm going to go back and read this twice because there's a lot of information here for me to digest in terms of understanding this. Let me ask you a quick one on AI. Given all these operational models that are coming out, my assumption is that in the enterprise world, you can build a common data platform, bring everything together. Otherwise, how the hell are you going to get any insights out of it? And that means a lot more money spent on databases and data itself. Have you talked to your customers about it? How are they thinking in this realm? It does feel like it's a critical problem to solve for. And there's different sides of it. I think Cockroach has been used many times already as a feature store. So I think of it as like the source data for training the models. And by the way, the boundaries between the training and the serving are blurring all the time. But there's also the serving part and increasingly folks are thinking about how they're potentially going to put the models into the database and even make it part of SQL so you can query it and so forth. And we've thought about moving in that direction a little, 
I will say that when our customers are coming to us, they're actually rarely asking us for the sort of machine learning AI side of things being directly part of the database. Often they're intending to use the database in support of those goals with other systems attached to it. But that doesn't mean there's not a really interesting work to be done there. And there's actually a number of, of databases that are moving in that direction. And Pinecon's an example of that. I think there's going to be a new generation that are specifically tailored to the demands around AI machine learning. Uh, whereas what Cockroach is today, and obviously this is something that will probably continue to evolve, focus more on the nitty gritty of just like, how are the, the bits and bytes both stored and then efficiently accessed? It was like a, it's a very constrained problem from that perspective, like CRUD operation. Can I create the data? Can I, is it always going to be there when I need to access it? And can I pull out the things I need from a relational perspective? And so that you get the correct answer. I, just solving that problem is the work of decades. Yeah, as is, as, and we try not to bite off too much. I think that the AI stuff is obviously tremendously exciting. What we're always looking to do is how do we integrate and how do we create egress and ingress methods for the database from these other systems so that as things are updated in Cockroach, you have a very efficient flow to update other things. I think that's really where we're focused today. But if you're looking at the horizon, I think anything's possible. And we've actually don't see much of those requests. They are starting to increase them. Yeah, no, this is excellent. Spencer, I could go on for, to be honest, another hour just discussing this. This is such a fascinating subject to us. We are all kind and uh, we'll love this discussion. We'd love to have you come back one of these days and update us and how your work is going and what emerging technology really fascinates you. So thanks so much for your time and I look forward to catching up soon. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.